above all powers. Above all powers. Above all kings. Above all nature and all created things. Above all wisdom and all the ways of man.
homes be filled.
Well, gang, and I know a lot of you, uh, we had a great picnic last week uh, to celebrate the Honduras team and to create awareness for their missions trip that's coming up and a little fundraising for them as well. And um, kind of uh, as a continuation of that discussion, they are still collecting old glasses. And so if you have old glasses, bring it on in. And I think they're going to take a collection and take it down and make it useful down to people. Oh. <laughs> make it useful for people. Um, so yeah, pl please please uh, look for that box. And the tech team is still looking for volunteers if you have interest in Andy. Uh, something really cool that Juliana shared about uh, last week is the Harvest Women are going to be doing a Bible study together this summer. And so if you have interest in that, uh, by all means, talk to Juliana or Cecilia. Compassion in, in action. Uh, we just want to continue to remind you that we have a little blue box in the back there. And it's made to help people out in our community here at Harvest uh, to kind of help them out. And so if you have an inkling to participate in that, uh, th again, there's a blue box in the back and, and we're taking donations in there. Prayer Circle, Wednesday, June 14th at the Saikami's house. And for our next couple of gardening, I'm going to ask Curtis to come on up. One of the uh, words in the last song we sang was um, that our homes will be filled with joy. And when we get married, you know, we look forward to great joy. And that is part of God's plan for us, is to have a joy that is found within the home that is unique to that couple. And so we want to really encourage you, if you're a couple, whether you're a married couple or been married for a long time, I mean, or you're, you're not a married couple, but you are a couple, uh, we want to invite you to join us. And that's going to be this coming Friday. It's going to be at Irvine Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's going to be at 6.30, and we have a potluck, so you can sign up on this and drop it in your offering bag. Um, the theme for this week is called Two Are Better Than One, and we're going to be talking and learning about from Dr. Tony Evans how God gives every person unique gifts and how when the couple comes together, they bring those gifts and they bring something special in unity and they bring something special that brings joy and harmony to their lives, but also an enrichment in their lives. And so I want to encourage you to join us this coming Friday. If you've never been to Couples Garden, it would be a great time to test it out. It's a lot of fun and it's also a great way to encourage yourselves as well as your spouse. Thank you, Curtis. And then just going down our listing of announcements, uh, the park is having Boomer's Night on Saturday. It's not July. It's June 24th. So it's coming up in a couple weeks. So not July. Cross that out. Put June 24th on your bulletin, please. Bring $15 for pizza and golf. And it, I know we've been announcing this each week, but we want to continue to announce it for our upcoming camp. Be all in and all out. And you can still sign up. There's still spots available. So if you have any interest in the camp, by all means, please talk to Polly. Lots of prayer requests for us, especially as we're in a time of transition. Keep the lows in your prayer. I think they'll really appreciate it, so Pastor Curtis and Carol and, and family, as they go through this time of transition. And then for our elders and deacons, they certainly covet your prayers as well. It, it would be really meaningful uh, for, them, for you to pray for them. And then pray for our Honduras mission team, as we mentioned. Um, the, the mission trip's coming up on July 22nd to the 29th. Really cool trip that they're participating in. And so... It's really cool that we get to participate with them by supporting them and to pray for them. And then super excited to hear about all the great stories that they're going to bring back to us. So I want to keep them in our prayers as well. Well, today uh, we have our, our special, uh, special, not guest speaker, but our youth pastor, Michael, sharing with us. And one of the good signs that Michael did a good job last time is that we asked him to do it again. And so he'll be sharing with us uh, this morning. But 
Um, today he's going to talk about one of the mysteries uh, of what we believe in. And something that I struggle with personally is asking the question, who's God? Like, you know, we worship, we pray for him. I grew up in the church, but who is he? And, and what, what does it mean? Uh, who is this God? And then, much less the myst- one of the great mysteries that we have to explain, if someone came up to me and said, what's the Trinity? Why, why do people do this? You know, the Catholics are, what, what, what does that mean to you? What, what does the Trinity mean to you? Do I have a good answer? Do you have a good answer? Think about that in your head. If someone asks you, what's the Trinity? And where did that come from? Uh, what would you say? And so, God bless us that uh, Michael's going to be coming up and being able to uh, share some of the history behind what we believe in and, and a little bit more about the Trinity. So I'll hand it over to Michael. Thank you. Can you hear me? Good? Okay. I'd like to open just in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. May the grace of Christ our Savior and the Father's boundless love with the Holy Spirit's favor rest upon us from above. May we now remain in union with each other and the Lord and possess in sweet communion joys the earth cannot afford. Lord, thank you for everyone that's shown up today. Thank you that there's this incredible sense of worship here today, that your Holy Spirit truly is here speaking in each of our lives. We lift up this message to you. We know that you'll speak through it. Amen. So when I was preparing for this sermon, I realized that there was two routes I could go about talking about the Trinity. I could be really boring, or I could be sort of boring. And so halfway through, halfway through I gave up. So this is, this is what you guys are getting today. Uh, no, but um, although I grew up a Christian, it wasn't until I was about uh, a freshman in high school, around Easter time, uh, so not too long ago, but a little while back, um, it wasn't until then that I really began to take my faith seriously. Um, and what that meant is I began to read the Bible and discuss it with my dad. I began to go to, to church more regularly with my sisters, uh, and I began to look things up about theology. And really early on, one of the topics I came across um, was the Trinity. And I was really confused by it, so I did what I, what I usually do when I come across a theological term I don't understand. I Googled it. Um, <laughs> and I still do this today for some reason, even though I almost never get a very good result. Like, I usually get more confused and, and just fell apart. So I did the second best thing. I, I talked to my dad about it, and he was a pastor when he was uh, younger. So I was like, well, I guess I'll talk to him. He might know something about it. Um, but in looking back, I had no clue how to ask the questions even of, you know, what, what is the Trinity like? How, what questions am I actually asking, right? And so looking back, I realized there are three questions um, that I'd like to discuss today. And first is, why do we believe in the Trinity? You know, this term doesn't directly appear in the Bible. It seems like it's really confusing, almost illogical at times. Why do we, why do we believe in the Trinity as Christians, you know? The second question I had is, is the Trinity actually important to Christianity? You know, it's, again, it's really confusing, and I can see this being a, a, a block to people's faith. Why is it that we have to be so, so valuing this really confusing thing about God? And third, if the Trinity is important, what does it mean to me? Why does it matter to me, right? And so, you know, you'll probably hear some of the youth say this, why do I have to do math class? It doesn't matter to me. Well, that's how I felt about the Trinity, you know, it's like... <laughs> Why is the Trinity actually important to me? Um, and so these are the, the three uh, questions that we'll be looking at today. 
So first is, again, this question of why do we believe in the Trinity? Um, and so, although I wrote a little bit about this in my blog post, I'm almost positive most of you probably do what I do when I get the, par the, um, the harvest email in the week. I see a block of text that I skip to look at the events coming up for the week <laughs> coming. So, um, although this might be a little repetitive if you read that, um, bear with me for a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, so Moses, uh, in, in the Bible, is told that he's not going to be able to enter into Israel, into the promised land with the Hebrew people. And they get to the edge of the Jordan River, and he pauses and he gives these last speeches, uh, which are the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and these speeches are filled with promises from God about what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. And so Moses early on talks about, very, very immediately in his first speech, about God and idolatry. And one of the statements he makes is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 um, and 5. Uh, so if you have a Bible, flip there. So it's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. Moses is saying this because throughout the history of the, Israeli, or the Hebrew people, even to this point, they keep turning to idolatry. You'll remember stories about the golden calf and things like this. But He's also saying this because he wants to remind the, the Hebrew people as they enter into this land full of pagans and full of other gods that our God is actually one and he's, he's a specific God. He's the God that acted in the Exodus. He's the God that saves. He's the God that did all these miracles. There's actually things we can, we can say about God, but one of the things he's saying is that God is one. He is, he's the one God that we have. Uh, but with all of Deuteronomy, pretty much the entire thing, each of these speeches is, is, what does it look like to be a covenant nation? And then, what's going to happen when you do mess up? So the entire thing is kind of like a bummer, because Moses is telling them you're going to mess up all the way through. And even here, when he's talking about the fact that our God is one, he's saying, you're probably going to mess up. And I know this isn't just true of the Hebrew people, it's true of all of us. Right? All of us, at times, don't look at God and say, you're the one God. I know for me, I tend to think of my pride more often as God than actually God is. Um, for the Hebrew people, a lot of times it was money or it was the gods of power in their area. Um, and what this led to was the Israelite people actually ended up getting defeated uh, by this empire called Babylon. And the Babylonian empire, when it defeated them, the, le the spiritual leaders... Um, began to think, what just happened? Why did God not fight for us? Where was God in this battle? Um, was God defeated even? And what they realized is it's not that God was defeated, it's that they had left God and he didn't fight for them. And so when Ezra in the book of Ezra and in different moments uh, got a chance to reform the, Israel, the Israelite nation, um, what they realized is that they needed to push more so for what, for what Moses was actually talking about in Deuteronomy. Uh, the Torah comes out of this portion 
uh, of Jewish history. But one of the big things that we see is that this radical monotheism came into existence. This, this really hard line, no, 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 we're a monotheistic, we're a one God religion. There is no idolatry, there's no moving away from that. And Israel as a nation doesn't actually turn away from that uh, for the rest of really their history as a nation. They continue to be, uh, we're a nation under this one God um, people. And so this is actually the context that we get when we move into the New Testament. And again, Israel was so radically monotheistic that when it was taken over by the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire couldn't even force them to call Caesar God. Uh, and they actually allowed them to be the only people in the area that didn't have to have it that way. They didn't have to call Caesar God, but they could actually hold to their monotheism. It was so strict. But this created a problem for the early church when they began to look, and for the disciples, when they began to look at the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, as he did these incredible miracles, and he taught with this just wisdom, and some of the things he said about unity with God, it, it terrified the Pharisees when they heard it. It shocked the disciples, and with the early church, and even with us, it's kind of confusing, you know. Um, and so for this, we, I want to turn to John 5, uh, verse 16. So John chapter 5, verse 16. Okay. What it says there is, Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And again, this is really this shocking statement to a radically monotheistic people that know their God is one, but then they hear Jesus talking about this unity with the Father. And so the early church began to work through, okay, so we believe in one God, and we believe that he is one, but we also believe that there's this mysterious unity between the Father and the Son. But they couldn't just stop there because there was something else going on in some of the things Jesus said. Um, because Jesus spoke about unity with the Father. He also spoke about unity with the Holy Spirit. And so in John 16, uh, I think this is uh, the most evident. Uh, in John 16, Jesus is giving his, his last speech now to the disciples, and he's talking about him leaving, and they don't really understand it, but one of the things he says is, but very truly, this is verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Earlier on in uh, chapter 14, he also talks about this being another advocate or another paraclete of the same type as him. And so the church, again, working through this, Paul actually works through this um, in Corinthians where he points to 
the fact that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Uh, there are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everything, it is the same God at work. So even Paul recognizes there's this connection between the work of the spirit, the work of Jesus, and the work of God. Um, and that all of them together uh, make up who God is in this really mysterious, really strange way. The biblical witness of God and the way that God has revealed himself is as one, as the God who saves and the God who is the Lord of our working, who gives our gifts. And this God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why we believe in the Trinity. Uh, it doesn't, the term doesn't specifically appear in the Bible, but we see God revealing himself over and over again as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three, but also as the God who is one. Um, but now, the Trinity in Christianity, right? Okay, I can, I can understand the Trinity, it's in the Bible, but again, does it, does it matter to Christianity so much so that we should be holding it almost as a block to some people's faith, some would say. Um, the Trinity appears in every Christian creed pretty much that exists. I mean, the Holy Spirit's like attached to two of them, just barely. But all the creeds that, that make up the foundation of what we believe as a church have the Trinity. So is it important? You know, and one of the, the examples that I want to give of the importance of the Trinity is when I was a little, uh, a little bit younger, I was, I think, sixth grade, but I've heard people my age and people older than me ask this question, um, was God ever lonely, right? Because God existed for all of creation, before creation, he's existed before even time was. Was God ever lonely? And did he create out of this loneliness? What's, what's going on there? Uh, and the, the church has said, absolutely not. No, God was at no point lonely, at no point not satisfied, because God for all of eternity was in perfect, satisfying relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This relationship of love is actually the place out of which creation came. It's not a place of, oh, I need something, so I made creation, but a place of, I want to share this love uh, beyond even uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and so the way that this, this actually impacts us is when God made creation, his goal was for creation to be in unity, in relationship with him, just as he is in relationship within himself. That's a little confusing so, confusing, so I'll say it again. God made creation with the goal of having it in relationship with him, just as he's in relationship within himself. But man fell. We all know this. Uh, Genesis uh, 3 talks about this, and then Paul repeats it. We, we all fell, and all of creation fell from this relationship. Um, you know that, that hole you get inside? Youth, I'm almost positive you know it, because I, I definitely felt this when I was in high school. This, but everyone, right? This feeling of almost emptiness of, you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? There's this, there's this emptiness of, like, what is it that I'm missing? What is it that I'm lacking that we try to fill? Um, and over and over again, you know, we, we search for what is it that I'm missing? What is it that's not here? And what the Bible's indicating is that what we're missing is that relationship with the Trinity. What we're missing is that perfect relationship that has always existed and that even creation was made for. Um, each of us rebels against God all the time. I know I do. But a lot of times that rebellion is based on just, I want that relationship filled. I want to be with God uh, in a deeper way. Um, and, and that's where the Trinity actually informs a bit of our own life and our own experience of, of the fall. Um, but it also actually informs the way that we read uh, Jesus' mission on earth. 
And so as we look to places like John 3.16, which I'm sure a ton of people here have memorized, if not everyone, um, John 3.16, we always look at it as God uh, giving his son to save us. Um, but theologian, theologian Robert Langott, who's a missionary theologian in Africa, uh, points out in his article, The Trinity and Missions, that if you read John 3.16 with Trinity backing, you actually begin to understand it a little bit more uh, deeply, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave or he sent his only son that whoever believed would not perish. And the parentheses that Lang puts is, whoever has relationship with the son would not perish but have eternal life. Um, the way that one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Machia, put it when I was going through my program at Vanguard was, Jesus on the cross reestablished and reinvited us into relationship with the Trinity. So just as for all of eternity, the Trinity has been in relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus on the cross is actually opening that relationship to each of us. He's giving us a chance to take part and to, to really grow in that relationship. Further on in the Bible, we read about the fruits of the Spirit, and we see, again, this deepening faith, this deepening relationship with God. And, uh, you know, I always hear that term, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But in many ways, that's so true about God and about our role with God, is that the Father is, is seeking us, is seeking relationship with us, the Son coming to earth, giving us an example of what that relationship looks like, and the Holy Spirit empowering us and maturing us for that relationship. Um, in the end times, I think you see, again, this Trinitarian relationship uh, in really good terms. So in Revelations 21, uh, verses 3 and 4, we see what, what God's goal for, for, for this relationship is and for creation is. His goal for, for what this life will look like at the end. And so in Re Revelation 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3 through 4 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So we see from the very beginning, from the get-go of Genesis of creation, if we have an understanding of the Trinity, we understand why God created. We begin to understand the, the real devastation of what the fall did in each of us, um, that, that whole, that longing for, for that right relationship with God. We can understand the cross and what it does to redeem us to, to that relationship much more clearly, and we can see where this is all going, right? We can see where this is all headed. Our faith isn't just a faith of just here and now relationship and this brokenness, but that actually God wants to redeem all of our lives and all of creation to himself, that he will be there to wipe every tear from our eyes and remove the old order of things, the way things are now. Everything God does is in this Trinity relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by this Trinity relationship, 
he's redeeming creation back to himself. All right, so maybe now you're thinking, so I get it, the Trinity is based on God's revelation of himself to humanity, and the Trinity is important to understand what God's doing in the Bible, but again, does it matter to me? I know some of you are thinking, I'm not saying that, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking about me, but no, I, I know all of us kind of think that um, every time we hear something like this, does it actually matter uh, to me and to us? This relationship that we are called into doesn't stop at belief, right? In, uh, at the park, this past year, sort of, I mean, with the transition, everything is a little bit harder, but this past year, we were looking at Matthew chapter 5, and our purpose of looking at Matthew 5, um, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is to see Jesus describing who he is and then inviting us to follow follow his example. And his example is, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Right? What does it mean to be in right relationship? And we walked through just what Jesus said. And all of Jesus' ministry is about that, about what does right relationship with God look like? What does right relationship with the Father look like? With the Holy Spirit, we continuously see him maturing us, right? The Bible even says that he prays for us and he prays through us, that he's working to deepen our relationship with God. And so it's not just stagnant, I believe and I'm saved, therefore I'm good, and maybe I come to church every once in a while, right? This, what Christianity is about is entering into this relationship that is God, right? It's about more than just uh, belief. Um, the D- Bible talks about even the Father calling us deeper, his love for us, his, his wanting to be in commu- community with us. That's what the covenant's all about. And so I'd like us to open now um, to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And so here we arrive at kind of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? This is the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus has died on the cross, has risen again, has invited us into a relationship with him. And he's now telling his disciples, what do they do next? Because they still don't really understand everything. They're still confused as to what Jesus is doing alive. And, And these are the verses he tells them. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, when we talk sort of about this mission of the Trinity, of reuniting us with the relationship that is God, we see the Father in the Bible, send the Son. The Father sends the Son to reunite us with him, to forgive us of our sins, uh, and have this opportunity to, to be in right relationship with God again. And we see the Father and the Son, uh, throughout all of Paul's letters, sending the Spirit. And the Spirit falls upon us, and he matures us, and he grows us. He grants us these gifts so that we can actually do the work of ministry. 
Um, but here Jesus is kind of telling us, what does that actually mean for us? You know, that's great. Uh, we have this deepening relationship. Um, I've heard these verses to be said, you know, just as the Father sent the Son, and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit send the church. Uh, and we can't just stop at that point of belief. We have to actually understand that this relationship we're in with God actually means expanding his love into the world. And so we see Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, we don't have a weak God that we're in relationship with. We have a God who's actually in authority, who's here with us, who has power um, both here and in heaven. And he's telling us that if we take his lessons, if we take our discipleship to him, the, lesson he teach, the lessons he teach us, teaches us, we're to then go and make disciples of all nations. We're to make more people with this deepening relationship with God, not just to hold it to ourselves. We're to teach them to obey everything he has commanded. This means we're to teach them just what does it look like to actually be in relationship with God. That's what Jesus is continuously commanding, is just what does a right relationship with God look like? Those are his commands to the very end of the age. And so again, there's this element of this end where it's all perfected, but that we get to actually take part in. So Jesus did not simply save us to invite us into a relationship of the Trinity. He wanted to extend this invitation to all nations. He wants us to mature in this relationship, to grow in Christ-likeness, and to go out empowered by the Holy Spirit to do mission. This means we're going into the world, creating disciples whose relationship is deepening, who are stepping into the same life of the Trinity that we share. I want to say that in, in this transition time for Harvest, you know, what, what does this really mean for us, right? What, what does this mean for each of us? It means that this faith, we don't get to just be in a relationship and then move on. It actually is calling each of us to, to action, to do something. Each of us is called to ministry, not just me or Curtis or Jerry or those that have stepped up, but every single one of us, including including you guys. Every single one of us is called to, to, to ministry and to mission. All of us are to, to say, you know, God, what is this relationship asking of me? Right? What is, this, what is this relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit asking of me? Because we see what it asked of Jesus, right? So what does this relationship mean for us? You know, and, and in a lot of ways, that's a conversation uh, between you and God, right? That's something where you have to tell him, you know, what is my ministry here? What is my mission here? Um, I've been myself incredibly encouraged by just the number of you all that have stepped up to help out with the park, um, with volunteering, with going to events, with different things in light of Ben leaving. And I know that I can see that same trend occurring with uh, Curtis soon leaving here. But really, this is a time in the midst of all these transitions to ask, what is this relationship with God calling us to? You know, is that helping with the promised land, right? Is that helping Andy with uh, tech back there, you know? Is it, is it starting a small group or working on something outside of the church or getting connected to other, to other ministries? What's this calling you to, you know? And don't be afraid of maturity. I mean, I'm 22 and I'm doing this up here right now. <laughs> maturity is not necessarily uh, the issue. It's really just where's your heart and where's your relationship with Jesus and with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. Where is that at? And what's going on? And he wants us to do this, but he, he doesn't want us to do it just as individuals. Right? Jesus established the church. 
He didn't just establish like faith for one of us. And so we as a community then are to actually support one another, support what each of us is doing, to be with uh, each other and to say, you know, what are you doing? How can I help you? How can I help with this aspect of the church? But how can I help with this aspect that maybe something going on outside of the church that you want to be a part of? How can we partner with them in a community? With this in mind, with this idea that all of us are to be in relationship with God and all of us are to, into, to be a part of this love relationship that we're expanding in other people, I want to ask you, you know, what is specifically something maybe you're helping out now with or that you can see yourself uh, doing in ministry? What do you think God's calling you to? Um, I just want to give a, a couple minutes of silence just for you to, to think through that for you um, right now. So now just to reiterate what we've spoken about. We know from the way that God's revealed himself in history to the Israelites, to the disciples, to us, the way we've experienced God maybe in this room, that he's a father who loves us, who cares for us, whose ways are best for us. He's son who came down and became like one of us and invites each of us into the relationship that he shared before that. And spirit who comes, matures us, empowers us, wants us to, to grow in this relationship. We know that the Trinity is important because it just helps us understand, it gives light to what everything's, everything that's happening in the Bible. It helps us to understand what God's done, what God's doing, and what God's uh, plan for the future is. And finally, we know the, the Trinity is important to each of us because it helps us understand that this relationship with God isn't just about belief, it's about action. It's about doing something with God uh, in this relationship. We see each of the members of the Trinity constantly acting, and we know that if we're to be in relationship with him, we're too supposed to be acting with him. Um, one of the places that we see this, um, this action and that we proclaim this action most fully is in, uh, is in communion. And so, just like to read from you to you from uh, from First Corinthians eleven verses twenty three or twenty four or yeah twenty three. <laughs> the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body." which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just as our whole lives are to be transformed by the Trinity relationship, are to be based on that relationship that each of us has been invited into, and just as we're to proclaim this relationship and invite others into it, taking communion is just a reminder of that element, of that fact of 
Jesus really did die for us. He really wanted us to be in this right, good, incredible relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we proclaim that both as action and also just as saying thank you to him. So if the ushers will come up, we can pass this out and take communion together.
receive this blessing as from the Lord. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you.